Luke chapter 2. Luke 2 verse, uh, from verse 7, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country or region shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Father, bless your word now to our hearts. We pray that you would bless each one with illumination and understanding that you would share the secret of grace, the mystery of the gospel with each one this morning, and quicken us according to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's be seated together. Everyone knows the events of Christmas. Uh, They are laid out for us in this chapter, Luke 2, and other places. But do people understand the meaning of Christmas? Who it really was who was born in the manger and why he came? Do people really know the secret, the wonder of the gospel message? It's incredible that there can be a veil on people's eyes and minds and hearts and not understanding, though they hear the information and they can recite the Christmas story and yet they don't see the wonder, the mystery, the truth of the gospel. In the carol, we hear the question, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. What child is this? That is the all-important question, isn't it? Jesus asked the question in his public ministry in Philippi of Caesarea with his disciples. He said, who do men say that I am? And then he asked them personally, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, by saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has showed this to you. In another place, in John 6, when many disciples went back and followed him no more, And Jesus said to his disciples, will you go also? And Peter again said, where else shall we go? For only you have the words of eternal life. And listen, and we believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In fact, in the Greek there, it says we have come to believe. We have come to know and understand who you are. So that's the all-important question, isn't it? What child is this 
Who was he and why did he come? So we read in, in Luke 2, 7 that she brought forth her firstborn son. <clears throat> and in Matthew 1, when the angel came to Joseph, do you remember what he said in prediction? He said, she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, which is his name, which has a meaning the Lord saves. Even his name means salvation for he will save his people from their sins. And here lies the gospel message. This is the good news, that a savior was born. And this was the message that was given to the shepherds. Let's go to our text together in 2.8. There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And these men would be the first to hear the announcement of the birth of the Savior. There was nothing extraordinary about their lives. They were just living menial, common lives as shepherds in the fields and the hills of Bethlehem. But everything was about to change. And perhaps you remember the day that you first heard the gospel. Perhaps in your memory you just go back there for a moment with thankfulness for the circumstance or the person, however it was, when you heard the gospel and the truth rang clearly in your hearts and minds. I remember I, by God's grace, stumbled into this little home Bible study in Bromley, Kent, when I was 21, just a few years ago. <laughs> and for the first time I heard the gospel I, I went to Catholic schools my, all of my upbringing I sat in the religious education classes like perhaps many of us did but I never knew the gospel I never heard the gospel I could recite what happened at Christmas but I did not know the meaning and it was simply shared with me and my life would never be ordinary Again, after that. So, in verse 9, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. Wow, imagine that. All of a sudden, the invisible made visible. And this angelic being stood before them. Behold, it says. This is like in, in a moment, suddenly, out of nowhere. An angel appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. I feel that's an understatement, perhaps. Of course they were. They were terrified in that moment for what they was, were witnessing together. It's no wonder that the first words of an angel to a human being is always, do not be afraid. We understand that. As it was with Zacharias and Mary and Joseph, the first words before the announcement is, do not fear, do not be afraid. Verse 10, the angel said to them, there it is, do not be afraid. Why? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. So here this angel is sent from heaven to this little region of Bethlehem to give this astounding announcement. All of heaven's focus looking in on this moment, listening to this announcement. There is none greater that would have been given. 
I bring you good news of great joy. Good news, the evangel. The good news, we are an evangelical church. We, we love the gospel. We know the gospel. We teach the gospel. We believe the gospel. We take the gospel. We hope that people can hear and believe the evangel, the good news. Notice the phrase there, to all people. Don't you love that? How inclusive the gospel is. No one is excluded. But to all people, to Jews and Gentiles through all the ages, to Muslims, to Hindus, to atheists, to all people in all ages, this is the good news that rings out. This is rooted back in the Abrahamic covenant right at the beginning when God said to Abraham, through your seed, all people, all nations will be blessed. How? Through Christ, his birth, and of course, particularly his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And here the birth is announced. Verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, these words would have rang true with an Old Testament flavor, of course, in terms of the prophets and the, and the, the terms of the Old Testament. Isaiah 9, unto us a child is born, a son is given, speaking of the Messiah, that he would be born of a woman back in Genesis, that he would be born of a virgin in Isaiah, that he would be born in Bethlehem in Micah. This was the conclusion of all of those prophecies. This was the moment. This is the fulfillment. And who is born? A Savior. This is why he came. Luke 19, 10, Jesus said of himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. 1 John 4, 14 says, and we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He was the Savior. He was not Savior only by virtue of his birth, but he was Savior by virtue of his death, dying in our place and shedding his blood for our forgiveness. A Savior is born. And what does a Savior do? He saves. He saves. That's the sole purpose of a Savior. It is to save. It is to save those who need saving. It is to save the lost. And who is this Savior? And note this phrase. Who is Christ the Lord? Now, Christ is rooted back in Daniel's prophecy at the end of chapter 9, where two times it mentions Messiah, the Messiah, which means the anointed one. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is written in Hebrew, in the Greek translation, it uses the word Christos, or anointed one, or Christ. Christ is not his name, but it's a title. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one that was promised of old. And when an anointing would take place, one of recognition or authority would anoint another for a particular office or duty. Namely, particularly in the Old Testament, we see prophets being anointed, we see priests being anointed, and we see kings 
being anointed. And Jesus was the greatest prophet. He is our high priest, and he is the king of kings, and he is the anointed one. So notice this, Christ, the Lord. Now don't miss this. This is amazing. Lord is often used and seen as a term of honor. But in the New Testament, always with the capital L, this is a a title which recognizes the ultimate authority of Jesus as the Lord. This was a divine designation of him as one who is sovereign, who has all authority over all. The Greek uses kurios, which is the the Greek word, 7,000 times in the Greek Old Testament, right? So when you go back to the Old Testament, again, written in Hebrew, but the Greek translation of the Old Testament, every time we have the word Yahweh for the ultimate, supreme, eternal God, the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses the word kurios. And in the New Testament, 740 times the word kurios is used. And 163 of those times is by the Apostle Paul in the epistles, recognizing Jesus as the Lord, which is equated with the Old Testament Yahweh. It is a divine designation every time he's referred to as Lord. So Christ the Lord who is our Savior. So, what does he save us from? That's the question. Well, we read back in Matthew 1, a Savior who will save his people from their sins. This is what he saves us from, from our sins and especially, precisely the consequence of our sins, which is that our sins have separated us from a holy God. Now, for a moment, let me read you some verses. This is in Ephesians chapter 2. And we know that after the Gospels and after the book of Acts, the the letters or the epistles, the writings of Paul and Peter and John, unfold, explain and open the meaning of the Gospel to us. So in Ephesians 2.4 it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. Now he's speaking to believers, not all people. He's speaking to those who have believed in Christ. He says we were dead in our sins, but now he has made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised up together, and he has made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ, speaking of our assurance in our salvation. Verse 8, For by grace you have been through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, I can't imagine that explanation of the gospel being put in any clearer terms than that. In the human language, you are saved by grace. It is a gift of God. It is not by works. It is not of yourselves. It is through faith in what Christ has done for us. Verse 12, he says, Remember, at that time, you were without Christ, 
being aliens from the citizenship of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, listen to this, having no hope and without God in the world. The tenses in this passage are important. We were, but now. We were without God. We were without hope. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Glory be to God. You who were far off, oh, so far, that nothing could have ever bridged that gap except the Savior who came from heaven. God who became man to reconcile man with God. We were dead in our sins, but we have been made alive. We were without Christ, but now we have him. We are in him. We are with him. We were strangers from the covenants, but if you read on, verse 19 says, no longer strangers and foreigners. We were with no hope without God, but now we are filled with hope and we have been made members of the household of God. And then that last one, we were far off, but we have been made all so close. And here is the beauty and the finality of the gospel. So far off, but we have been brought so close. So close that the Bible puts it in terms like we are in Christ and he is in us. We have been united with him once and for all forever by grace through faith. The Bible teaches that we have been justified That means we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being sanctified, which means we are being delivered from the power of sin. And we will be glorified, which means we will be delivered from the very presence of sin. And that's a package deal. Let me read you a few more verses because I can sense you're not convinced quite yet. (laughs) Matthew 16 says, He who believes shall be saved. John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters in by me, he shall be saved. Acts 4, 12, there is no other name under heaven by which a man can be saved. In Acts 16, in the house of the jailer, when the jailer ran to Paul and he asked the question, what what can I do to be saved? And Paul said, if you believe In the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is Lord and Savior, believe with your heart, you will be saved. Romans 10.13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus Christ came into the world to save Sinners, and Paul adds, of whom I am chief. In 1 Timothy 2.4, it says, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, and that's why he came. 2 Timothy 1.9, speaking of our Lord, it says, who has saved us, and called us with a holy calling, and here it is again, not according to our works, 
but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has given to us in Christ. And here's the last one, Titus 3.5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us through the washing and the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So we have nothing to boast in this morning as Christians or as believers. We can declare with great thankfulness and and grace, causing wonder in our hearts. We can say, I am saved, but I am saved by the grace of God. It's not by anything I have done. It's not by my righteousness. It's not by my works. But I was a lost sinner in desperate need of a gracious Savior He was seeking to save the lost. Praise God. Let's go back to our text after this amazing announcement. the, The angel says, and this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. And here's the key part of the sign, lying in a manger. Now, he doesn't tell the shepherds to go to Bethlehem to find it. He assumes that they would. Why wouldn't you? If an angel, hello, appears to you, the glory of God surrounds you and you're told about the Messiah being born, of course you would. I mean, we hope that we we would. They were probably those who were waiting, seeking, probably among the remnant believers of Israel. But when you come into the town, here is the sign that this, no halo... None of these like gold spikes surrounding the head of the baby. (laughs) No glow from heaven, an ordinary baby. But this will be the sign he will be lying in a manger. And on that note, this always captures me. On that very note, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Wow. Suddenly the curtain was pulled back on that announcement that the word had become flesh and dwelt among us. He would be found as a baby laid in a manger, and that was it. Heaven couldn't hold it back anymore. The angelic host began to sing and praise glory to God. And what were they saying exactly that? Glory to God in the highest. In fact, two things, two results of the Savior coming. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth towards men. And this last phrase, on earth, peace, goodwill towards men, it's a, it's a phrase, you'll see it translated a little bit differently, but the NASV says, on earth, peace among men with whom God is pleased. It's the same in the ESV. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, who is God pleased with? Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. What pleases him is a simple faith, an uncomplicated faith that rests in the truth of the gospel. And to those men and women and people, he promises peace. This is why Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Let's go on. Verse 15. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another. 
I don't know how long they gazed up into heaven, <laughs> you know, thunderstruck for a moment. What just happened? Maybe the minutes ticked by, not unlike the ascension when Jesus returned to heaven and the disciples were looking up, right? They're looking up, oh, well, what just happened? And one of them spoke. And they all began to quickly speak and agree with each other. Look what it says. Let us go now to Bethlehem and see that thing that has come to pass. Notice, not unlike the wise men when they said, where is he who has been born? They say the same. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. They believed. They exercised faith in what they heard, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, the word thing there in the Greek, this thing is the word rhema. It's like a secret that is revealed, a word, a word that comes from God. We have heard a word from God, and what are we going to do about it? What did they say? Let us go, and I love the word, now. No procrastination, not waiting for a New Year's resolution. No, just kidding. Now, now we go. Now what we have heard mixed with our faith causes our feet to go. Can we not say the same as this last phrase, the Lord has made known to us? Can't we say the same? You look back on your pilgrim journey as a believer, what God has made known to us and all of us growing in this progressive revelation and growing understanding, growing in the grace and knowledge of a person, Jesus Christ. Let us go now. So they went to Bethlehem. Not, not, they didn't wait. They went right away. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. It's a curious phrase, isn't it? I think there's a warning in there to those who might want to procrastinate, wait till another time, wait till I've got my life in order, then I'll, you know. Now, while he may be found, if they'd have gone a few weeks or months later, there's no baby there. It's gone. But now is the opportunity. So verse 16, it says, so they came with haste. Now, I don't know who haste was, maybe... I think he's another shepherd who joined them. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But anyway, haste went with them. They came quickly, not waiting, not rationalizing, and they came together. And because they came by faith and they didn't wait, it says they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. This is where they found him. This is where they saw him. Now, if I knew where a place was where I could go and see him, I would want to go there. If I knew there was a place where I could go and I could hear from him, I could sense him, I could be encouraged and loved or convicted or guided by him, I would want to go to that place. And this is why we have become churchgoers. Those who want to hear the word, and our faith is increased, that the word is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. And what did they find, Mary and Joseph and the babe? They were told of the sign. Notice it says they're lying in a manger. That was the sign. 
So there was no question this was the right place. And verse 17, Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Not only were they the first to hear the announcement, but they were the first ones to go and share that announcement with others. And what were they saying? It says they made known the saying. What saying? The saying where the angel said, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. That this is good news of great joy to all people. This is what they told people. Verse 18 And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Marveled that the prophecies were fulfilled, that the Messiah had come. At least that's what the shepherds were claiming. We don't know who believed it. We just hear that people heard it and they marveled. Sure, some believed and some did not. But may our hearts marvel at these incredible high truths of the gospel, at this incredible saying that was fulfilled on Christmas Day. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The angel had spoken to her and Joseph, and she had heard also to Zacharias, her Um, Elizabeth's husband, and now the shepherds, the angels coming and announcing these things being fulfilled. She kept this in her heart. And here's our last verse this morning. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. I can't imagine that they would ever be the same. I know I wasn't. I know your testimony would say the same, that we were changed by that truth, by meeting the Savior personally, that we are guarded as believers in our hearts ever to become complacent or familiar or dull in our faith. But oh, may we be quickened again and again and alive and awake to the truth of the gospel and who it was who came and what the meaning of Christmas is and the great salvation that has been given to us. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we pray with great thankfulness in our hearts. Oh, thank you, God, for the unspeakable gift that is Jesus. Thank you for the gift of eternal life that is given in him. Thank you for, for, as a Christian, we can have that blessed assurance that you are the Savior and you have saved us, not because of anything we have done, but we have just simply put our trust in you. Perhaps there's one here this morning or listening on the live stream or online. This is good news of great joy to all people. Unto you a Savior is born. There is no other Savior. There is no other name. There is no other way for a lost man to be found. Or put your faith in him 
even in this moment. Just bow your heart and say, Oh, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Extend your grace to me through salvation in Jesus. I trust Jesus as my personal Savior today. Just regenerate my spirit, open my eyes, quicken me, revive me with a living faith, knowing that you are my Savior and I am yours. And for all of us who have that assurance this morning, we just are thankful and we praise you. We pray that that will be glowing in our hearts this day, tomorrow, all through the next days, all through the next year. We will be just so thankful and rejoicing over such a great salvation and a great Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.